Our gospel this morning is from the 10th chapter of St. John. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand, for the Father and I are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you to the women's ensemble. What a beautiful, beautiful piece that was. Uh, Grant us your peace, and may your peace be to all people on earth. We are thankful for you and for proclaiming that powerful message this morning, so thank you. And happy Mother's Day, as has been mentioned. To those of you who are celebrating Mother's Day, we sure hope that you will have a moment of joy and celebration. Some are traveling, I know, today, and, and others are arriving or will be arriving soon. We hope your, your day will be blessed. We are certainly aware of those who, for whom this day is difficult. Uh, some who have lost their mothers this past year in particular, um, and sometimes days like this can be filled with a, a bit of grief. Um, and others who have had perhaps even challenging relationships with their moms, um, days like this can be difficult. Nevertheless, we spend today praying for moms around this world that God might encourage them and, and uh, allow them, use them to be a, a bright light for the sake of the world. So we pray for our moms today. Speaking of which, there were these two little kids who on Mother's Day ordered their mom to stay in bed that Mother's Day morning. Oh, she was so proud. They had never done that before. She was so looking forward to, to uh, breakfast in bed. And the smell of bacon started to sort of waft up um, from the stairwell into her, into, her, into her bedroom. And she was just filled with pride and, and love for her two, little, her two little kids, so pleased at how she had raised them. But then time went by and after a few minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes, she was starting to worry a bit. So she went downstairs to investigate. And would you know it, she found both of them sitting at the table eating bacon and eggs. What's going on? She, she asked. The little boy said, well, as a surprise for Mother's Day, we decided to cook our own breakfast. <laughs> it's an often told story about Albert Einstein's mother that that she thought her son was intellectually disabled, true, uh, because at birth his head was unusually large, and he didn't start speaking until the age of three, and even then didn't start forming sentences until much later. So she was worried, she was convinced, in fact, by uh, some kind of disability, she sought professional help, was concerned about enrolling him in school in Munich. As Paul Harvey would say, well, and now the rest of the story, <laughs> a story that, of course, you know well of a man, Einstein, widely considered one of the most brilliant to have ever lived, but who was initially labeled as unintelligent. Labels. 
Today we're going to jump into part two of Paul's conversion story. Last week we began this story. It's from Acts chapter 9. It's something that Dave read for us just a, a few moments ago. It's a story, though, at least this time in part two that we're going to deal with today. Fascinating, I think, because a story that almost gets derailed because of a label that someone has placed upon Saul. And as it turns out, had that label stuck, the world would never have known history's greatest evangelist. So, I'd invite you to open up again to Acts chapter 9, either in your bulletins or in a Bible that you brought with you today, Acts chapter 9. Again, last week we dealt with part one of the story. Quick, quick recap. The early Christian community was widely persecuted. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after His ascension into heaven. They're trying to figure out how to form a Christ Christian communities. They began in Jerusalem, were, were eager, based on, on Jesus' command to the disciples, go into all the world. So they were trying to spread, to go to places far beyond just Jerusalem. But uh, there were things that were pushing against them. They were widely persecuted. And, and a man named Saul, who was re named Paul, by the way, after his conversion. But Saul is, is one of those who's leading the persecution. His goal was to rid the world of this group of Jesus followers. So, if you were a Christian in those days, you knew about Paul, Saul, and you steered clear of him. At the beginning of the story, Saul is on his way to Damascus because he, wants to, he knows that this Christian community is trying to reach beyond Jerusalem. So, he receives orders from the high priest in Jerusalem to go to Damascus, which is 135 miles north of Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus when Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. He falls to the ground, and suddenly he's blinded and hears the voice that he never expected to hear, the voice of Jesus, who he did not believe, of course, was the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah of the world. And that voice said, Saul, why? Why are you persecuting me? Saul is stunned, and he's also now blind. Jesus then tells him to go to Damascus where he would meet someone who would guide him the rest of the way. But because he's blind and because he's still on the ground and can hardly even lift himself up off the ground, it's his friends who have to pick him up and guide him by hand to Damascus. End of Act 1. Pretty dramatic, right? Because here we have a, a man, a fire-breathing persecutor who has suddenly become, in the blink of an eye, a helpless blind man. Act 2. While Saul is being led into Damascus, a man named Ananias is praying now, Ananias is a leader of that Christian community in Damascus, at that point um, a relatively small community, and he had heard because of his friends and his relationships in Jerusalem, he knew that Saul was on his way, so he was filled with all kinds of fear and, and worry. At this point, it's important to know, Ananias, of course, has no clue what has just happened to Saul. He had no clue what God was up to. All he knows is Saul's reputation. He knows what Saul is capable of. He knows that Saul is an enemy, that he is a, that he is a terrorist, which means that Ananias is living under a threat that no longer exists. How often does that happen to us? living under a threat that no longer exists, that we are loaded with a fear that is no longer grounded in reality. 
It reminds me of the classic story. Love this story in, uh, in the Old Testament, the story of Joshua. Joshua is the successor to Moses. You remember Moses led his people, Israel, through the wilderness for 40 years for the purpose of entering then into the promised land. Moses was not allowed to enter it into the promised land, but his successor, Joshua, is. So Joshua and the people of Israel are trying to enter into the promised land, specifically through the city of Jericho. Now, interestingly enough, God had already promised them the city. It is yours, God said. But when they arrived, they saw these tall, fortified walls surrounding the city, and they became afraid. No way that we can do this, they complained. They are too powerful, they worried. So, Joshua sent spies to crawl over those big, tall, fortified walls of Jericho in the middle of the night. And the first person they encounter was a prostitute named Rahab. Now, don't ask too many questions. Rahab befriended the spies and and told them that the people of Jericho, as it turns out, they were actually trembling in their boots because they knew that God had already given them the city. Interesting, isn't it? They knew the people of, of Jericho, but the people of Israel did not. They didn't trust the Lord. You see, Joshua and the people of Israel were worried about something God had already taken care of. They were living under a threat that no longer existed, just like Ananias. What about you? Seriously, are you worried? Worried about something that God has already taken care of? Are you living under a threat that no longer exists? Verse 10, take a look. The Lord says to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he answers, here I am, Lord. By the way, good way to respond to God, okay? If that happens to you, great response. It's the, it's the prophetic response, here I am, Lord. All the great prophets use that exact same verbiage, and certainly Ananias is drawing from that exact same language. Here I am, Lord. I'll do what you want. It means whatever you ask me. You tell me to go, I'll go. You tell me to walk, I'll walk. You tell me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want, here I am. Gotta love the guy. But then verse 11, the Lord says to him, I want you to get up, and I want you to go to, you know, that street called Straight. Of course, he knew that street. That's the street, the longest street in Damascus. It's the east-west route. It's a Roman, old Roman road. Everyone knew the street called Straight. So, God says, I want you to go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. That's you, Ananias. Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, that's when Ananias' eyebrows began to furrow. Verse 13, Lord, I have heard about this man. Now, if you have your Bibles, this is a good thing to underline. These three words are important words to underline. These three words that almost derail the whole conversion experience, words that, that almost change the whole story of Saul and therefore the whole story of the, of the early church, I have heard. In other words, did I hear what I thought you said? <laughs> or, surely, surely I've misunderstood you. Or, did you really say Saul? Because I've heard 
about him. I have heard all the evil he's done, and what he's really saying is this, I know that he's on his way to Damascus to do the same, which is funny, right? It's funny how we lay conditions on God's call. God says, go, and we say, yeah, comma, but here God says to Ananias, go, but Ananias says, yeah, but, but I have heard, as if to say, God, you, you've got it wrong. You just don't understand. This guy saw he's a mess. He's out to kill us. I know about him. I have heard. How many times have those words gotten us in trouble? I've heard. When we allow our assumptions to define our reality, I've heard. Way too much gossip starts with these two words, I've heard. Way too many conclusions drawn based entirely on what I've heard or, or really what we've chosen to hear or truly what we've chosen to listen to. Far too many relationships have ended after those words, I have heard. But this isn't a story of endings, right? I mean, we're in the Easter season. We're in the season of of new life, of new beginnings. So God says, look, I don't care what you've heard. Let me tell you what I know. And so verse 15, God says this, powerful, remarkable words, surprising words. Saul, God says to Ananias, Saul, as it turns out, is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and, yes, the people of Israel. Go to him. And and that's all it took. Now, I have to admit to you, confession, if it was me, it would have taken a lot more convincing, right? But thankfully, whatever, I mean, the faithfulness of Ananias is amazing. For Ananias, he he, he went. That's all it took. He entered the house. He laid both hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul. Now, isn't that beautiful? I mean, I mean from persecutor to, to brother, right? By the way, if you want to change culture, if you want to change attitudes, language sure does help. And so, using the word brother, claiming him as my brother sure does go a long way. Wouldn't it be amazing if we would do the same? And then Ananias shared with him the good news. And immediately, do you see that word? Immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Saul got up and he was baptized. Saul will then be renamed Paul, who we know as St. Paul. Did you see what just happened? I mean, Ananias was courageous enough to bless the person who used to curse him. Ananias was courageous enough to bless the person who used to curse him, which begs the question, of course, is your heart tender enough today to bless someone who used to curse you? We learned so much from this story, but three quick things that I think need to be lifted up. One is simply a repeat from last week that God can use anyone to advance God's kingdom. Anyone, no exceptions. So, don't let what you've heard try to control what they can become, please. Two, conversion, as it turns out, is a necessary part of the Christian journey. No one 
is exempt. No one. It's interesting. We most often hear this title as the story of the conversion of Paul. In fact, that's how we, I think we've even titled it in our bulletin today, the conversion of Paul. But it's also the conversion of Ananias, right? I mean, as it turns out, both were blind. One was physically blind. One was spiritually blind. And neither of them knew it. They were bound by their convictions, certain that they were right for Saul. It took a humbling event before he could ever see again. But for Ananias, it took the softening of a heart that had become so hardened so that he might hear and know the radical nature of God's grace, the radical nature of God's forgiveness for both of these men. Their world is being rearranged. You get that, right? I mean, their world is being turned upside down. What kind of conversion, what kind of turning around is, is needed in your life? A softened heart? To step aside from judgment? To trust fully in God's call? Number three, at the end of the day, this story isn't so much about Paul and Ananias. It's another story about the power of God to bring life from death, to be, bring light from darkness, to heal those who are blind that they might see again. You know, years later, Paul is going to end up being just a remarkable evangelist who, who wrote lots of letters to these early Christian communities, letters of encouragement, sometimes of admonition. Paul is going to write one of those letters to the Christian community in Rome. To, it's the letter of the Romans. And he writes this in, in that letter, chapter 4, God brings into existence things that do not yet exist. Let me say that again. God brings into existence things that do not yet exist. I mean, it's powerful, right? And as it turns out, Paul is writing about himself. I mean, they, they, those words could have been written on his tombstone because it's exactly what happened to him on that road to Damascus that day when Saul was knocked to the ground and all seemed lost. God brought into existence something that did not yet even exist. Might God be doing the same thing today? I mean, truly, in Ukraine, in Russia, in, in Palestine, in Yemen, in Ethiopia, might God be doing the same thing today? Might God be doing the same thing in, in our community as we continue to wrestle with gun violence and race relations, as, as, as we try to raise up a generation of young people who know and love the Lord? Is it possible that God is doing the same thing in, in your life, bringing something into existence, something that does not yet exist? Is that possible? Of course it is, because that's who God is. But God also knows that conversion is needed along the way. It's necessary. Conversion that makes room for forgiveness. Conversion that softens the heart of judgment conversion that opens our eyes, yes, opens our hearts and our minds too, opens us to a world of possibilities that we didn't even imagine existed. So, here's my advice. Here's my great desire 
that every morning, every morning, pray for a softening of heart. Every morning before your feet hit the ground, pray for that God might allow scales to fall from your eyes that have kept you from seeing a greater truth in your life. Every morning, pray that God will bring into existence something new that has not yet existed and to fill your heart with thanks for the new things that He is already bringing to us in your life, in this community, and in this world. Thanks be to God. Amen.